How are you? You've had your caffeine, you're wide awake and ready to go? I hope so. Well, it is a, an honor to be back at the bridge, and <clears throat> Janet and I reciprocate uh, our gratitude for having Pastor Gary and Pastor Ann as friends. Um, they add a lot to our lives, and we always love it when we're able to spend some time with them. It's good uh, to be with them, but to be with you as well. And I do have something on my heart to share with you. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind finding Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bible, please find Hebrews the 11th chapter. <clears throat> find that, I'll pray, and uh, we will get right in to the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to communicate the gospel. We thank you for the privilege of being part of your family. Thank you for your word that feeds us and guides us, that can be relied upon in good times and in the midst of storms. And we ask you to give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding as we search your word today. Lord, it is our intent to not just be good listeners, but to be doers of your word. In Jesus, in all things we pray, you would be glorified. Amen. <clears throat> I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the significant life. You know, I don't think anyone just wants to sort of live and pass through this life and die and, and not leave any kind of a mark, not to have a significant life, to just, just exist. I don't think that that's anyone's intent to just sort of be excess baggage in life. We all have a very, very deep desire to live significant lives. The word, our English word significance, actually derived from an old Latin word meaning to portend or to be a sign of something to come. The word signify, very closely related, means to point to something of importance. In fact, the word itself, significance, the first part of the word is sign, S-I-G-N. Ultimately, a significant life is a life that points like a sign to God. That's what significant is, significance is. It's a life that points to God. It shows other people how to find God, where to look and to find God. Now, I just want to share with you four aspects of the significant life using the word sign, S-I-G-N, as an acrostic. So number one, S, the significant life, speaks through giving. The significant life speaks through giving. Hebrews 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Through this more excellent gift that, that Abel gave to God, through it, even though he's long dead and gone, he's still speaking. That is significance. Now, there's several things that we can learn from, from this verse about Abel and about how he gave. Number one is Abel offered his gift to God by 
faith. Now, the first verse of Hebrews 11 gives us the definition of that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Abel gave by faith. Listen, Abel did not see God any more than you see God. Abel did not feel God any more than you feel God. He gave by faith. He believed that a God that he couldn't see and that he couldn't feel was watching him give. He believed that a God that he couldn't see and couldn't feel was being honored through his giving. And he believed that a God that he couldn't see and couldn't feel would reward him for his giving. Abel did what he did by faith, the evidence of things not seen. And his gift, secondly, is that it was more excellent than his brother's gift. That literally means it was better quality. You can read the story in Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7. His brother Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in the process of time, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, completely acceptable. Throughout Scripture, God received offerings of the fruit of the ground and people's labor, their grain, their fruit. They would bring it to God. Now, Abel happened to be a herder of, of cattle. He, he had a, a domestic life, and he brought his gift to God. But it says when Abel brought his gift, he brought the first from his flock, and he gave God the richest part thereof. He gave God his first and his best. Now, if Cain would have done the same, it would have told us. But Cain just brought an offering. It was nondescript. I'm sure it was something that, that didn't affect him at all. Probably he didn't even feel it. But when Abel brought his gift to God, it was better quality. It was more excellent. It was his first and his best. And then the third thing we see is that he obtained witness that he was righteous. It said that in verse 4. Through this gift, he obtained a witness from God that he was righteous, meaning that his giving was a revelation of his relationship with God. His gift bore witness to the fact that he was right with God. He gave God his first and his best because God was first and most important in his life. Likewise, Cain's lukewarm gift was a revelation of his lukewarm relationship with God. In fact, when, when Cain saw that God accepted his brother's offering and didn't have respect to his offering, the Bible says Cain's you know, he had a long face. His countenance fell. And God said, Cain, why is your countenance falling? If you do well, if you give your best, will you not also be accepted? But if not, if you choose not to, sin is crouching at the door, ready to spring. And sin always affects and interrupts our relationship with God. So God, God told Cain, look, if, if you give your best, if you do what your brother does as well, You'll be accepted. But if you don't, it's because there, there's an issue between you and me. There's some things that are going on. Friend, it is an inescapable truth when it comes to you, when it comes to me. If giving to God and his work is way down on our priority list, God is way down on our priority list. doesn't matter what we say. That's just a truth. You can't escape it. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Our heart and our treasures are connected. What we love, we invest in. 
And then the fourth thing we see here is that Abel gave consistently. He didn't just give one time. It said in verse 4 that God testifying of his gifts, plural. Other translations say of his offerings. So the significant life is not just somebody that maybe gets stirred up in a service and and does this one-off thing, but it's somebody that determines that they are going to be generous on a consistent basis. A significant life is a life of consistent generosity. And then finally, that through his giving, he still speaks. How long has Abel been dead and gone? And yet he's still, he's speaking to us today through his gift. I took Janet out for an expensive steak dinner last month. It was really nice, but you know what? It's not speaking anymore. It was a nice evening, no eternal value. If you walk into my garage, one of the first things you'll notice on one wall There's a whole lot of fishing poles lined up, one after another after another. In fact, there's 14 of them lined up there. Guy's got to have enough poles for his friends, you know. But I love fishing, so I invest in fishing. With other people, it's going to be, you know, golf equipment, motorcycles, cars, clothes, shoes, whatever. Those things that we buy may be nice, but they don't speak with an eternal voice. But what we give to God and his kingdom work continues to speak for generations. You know, I got saved in a little street mission 40 years ago. I was a drug addict. And I was the only one that came forward that night, the only one that responded to the invitation. I wept like a child for probably 30 minutes. And you know, most of the people that gave to keep that street mission open long enough for me to get saved and most of those people that would have given and supported it are long gone. In fact, I I dare say probably all of them are in heaven now. But through their giving, they're still speaking. Through their giving, the gospel message is still being carried around the globe. It's an amazing thought. Abel, through his giving, still speaking. You know, I understand that uh, you're raising some funds in this season to do some things in the church for the gathering areas, you know, the bookstore, the foyer, where people connect and, and gather and for the, you know, the safety of the kids here at the church. My friend, those things speak with an eternal voice. Lives are changed in this house. Destinies are changed in this house. People that have grappled with depression for a lifetime are being liberated in this house. People change, you know, their direction from hell to heaven by a message that they hear in this house. Some people that are isolated and alone and feeling worthless actually make friends and connect with others of like precious faith in this house. Those things have eternal value. And when we invest in God's kingdom in his house, we continue to speak through our giving. You see, what we do here, it's for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. If Jesus tarries and all of the strangers and the friends that come into these doors and are impacted by the gospel and by people filled with the Holy Spirit. A significant life is one that speaks through giving. And like I said, there's a lot of legitimate things that we do. 
I, I, I like to fish. I mentioned that. I also like to golf. Pastor Gary and I, we've had a lot of good times out on the golf course. And, you know, there's a strange thing that's happened to me. I'm still sometime, somewhere between about 19 and 25 in, in here. But I get no confirmation at all when I look in the mirror. Zero. It's frightening, actually. And I don't swing a golf club as quickly as I used to, so I, I realize golfers don't understand this. The rest of you just go with me. You know, I, I've always played with stiff shafts. Well, I, I just don't have enough, you know, swing speed. I've got to get some golf clubs with regular shafts, some old man shafts in them. I never thought that day would come. Now, Gary's had them for a long time. <clears throat> but, you know, as legitimate as that is, and it is legitimate, I mean, in fact, it's scriptural. The Bible says he leads us down green fairways and over still waters. Golf is like it's in the Bible. <clears throat> so I invest in some golf clubs. And maybe I lower my handicap by a couple strokes. That's good. I have a good time. It's good for my soul to be out there. It refreshes me. But you know what? As nice as that is and as good as that is, that's not going to speak with an eternal voice. But Janet and I, we, we actually turned around and said to me in the, the, the offering of the first service, why don't we give this amount? I'd already decided that I was going to tell her that. She had the same exact figure as I did. Well, you know what? What we gave in the offering here in this house, that's going to speak with an eternal voice. If I die and go to heaven, friend, that, that's going to continue speaking. That's significant. All right, second letter, I. The significant life invests in others. And I don't just mean money, but there's an investment of time, wisdom, knowledge. We pass on to others what we know of God. Look in John 17 with me, if you would. <clears throat> John's Gospel in the 17th chapter, Jesus is about to be arrested, put through a mock trial, and crucified. And we have here captured a prayer that he utters to the Father. And he says something really interesting in verse 4. Speaking to the Father, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Now, what, what's he talking about? I finished the work. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't paid for the sin of mankind yet. He hasn't shed his precious blood yet. What does he mean, I've finished the work you've given me to do? Well, the work of redemption was going to be a little later. In fact, on the cross in John 19, he would cry out, it is finished. So what is he talking about here when he says, I've finished the work you've given me to do? It was the work of training the disciples. It was the work of pouring into others. He makes that clear in the next few verses. Look in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you've given to me, and they've received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they, made them, and they have believed that you sent me. You see, if Jesus first hadn't finished the work of training these men, for three and a half years he modeled leadership before them. He taught them to cast out demons, to heal the sick. He put the word of God into them. If he hadn't taken that time to pour into their lives, he could have still cried, it is finished on the cross and died. But the message of redemption would have died with him. If he hadn't prepared those men to carry the message, 
we wouldn't be sitting here today. So the work of training them and pouring into them and preparing them and downloading into them, it was as important in a sense as his death on the cross because then that message had to be carried by those that were prepared. It was so important that he said, Father, finally, they're ready. They've received your word. You gave them to me and I've gotten them ready. I've finished the work that you have given me to do. And you know, Paul had his Titus, his Timothy, his Onesimus, and his others. We need to, to think that way as well. It's been a huge theme in our church that we have generations working together. Abraham resourcing Isaac, Isaac releasing Jacob, Jacob revering Abraham. You know, King David in Psalm 71 said, Lord, when I'm old and gray-headed, a prayer of his heart, when I'm old and gray-headed, don't let me depart until I've declared your strength to this generation, your power to everyone that is to come. David said, God, don't let me die until I download what I know of you in the coming generations, until I declare your strength. Now, every one of us here knows something about the strength of God. His strength takes different facets. Some of you know about the strength of God when it comes to divine healing. You have been touched by God or God has used you in that arena. Someone else understands God's strength when it comes to being guided by the Holy Spirit. Others that you can trust your life to a promise. Someone else, you've learned God's strength in the area of stewardship. Someone else, it's the importance of being planted in a good local church. You've learned the strength of God. You've tasted of it there. You have a responsibility to download what you know of his strength to the coming generations. You need to invest in others. It's important that we all do that. And the truth is, when we pour into others, I think we, we need to come to grips with the fact that we may not be gratified by an instant response. We may not be the one that sees the fruitfulness take, take place, but we still need to sow the seeds. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. He said, I'm going to keep sowing into you. I'm going to keep investing in you, even if I get no return personally. I had a friend ring me the other day from France. He's actually a gypsy. We do quite a bit of work among the gypsies in Europe, and he's been working among the French gypsies for many years. He's been, been a dear friend, and he was really discouraged. He's just been sowing and sowing and sowing. And he said, Bayless, I see so little return on, on you know, the, 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 the lives. You know, we've seen a few people come to Christ. But he said, I, I, frankly, I'm just discouraged. And I gave the verse from Galatians. Continue doing good. In due season, you'll reap if you do not lose heart. You know, that's a word for somebody here today, whether it's with your kids or whoever it is. You may not be the one that's graced to thrust in the sickle and reap the harvest and see the fruit, but there can be no harvest at all if someone doesn't do the hard yards and plant the seeds. Maybe you'll be the one that gets to plant the seed and see the fruit. That's wonderful when that happens. But if, even if you're not the one that enjoys the fruit, someone will get to reap the harvest if someone else plants the seeds. We've got to take the time to invest in others. That is so high on God's economy 
and it is what a significant life does. You know, I have a, a friend, pastors a great church, and he had a couple of the most gifted uh, musicians and singers that I've ever seen. Actually, a husband-wife team. Incredibly gifted. And I just thought, well, you know, wonderful. You know, it'd be great for everybody to have a, you know, a, a music ministry like that. But he confided. He said, you know, Bayless, the truth is, is they chase off every talented person that comes their way. It's like they're, they're protecting their little patch of ground. And they don't want to lose their spot. And so anybody that comes along that's gifted or talented, man, they don't, they don't, they don't schedule them. They, they don't give them much expression, and they end up chasing them off. And I've talked to them about it and talked to them about it, but they just will not gather. They will not invest in other people. And eventually that pastor had to let them go. It was a shame. You see, that, that, that couple lost the plot. In the kingdom, you never work yourself out of a job. The more you gather others, the more you sow into them, the more you invest in others, the more you increase your value when it comes to the kingdom, my friend. You don't lose your spot. And we need to be bigger people than that, that, that we're willing to gather, willing to invest, willing to sow, willing to pour into other people's lives. Not being afraid of, of losing our little spot. So a significant life. Invest in others. All right, our third letter in this acrostic is G. Significant life is grateful. Gratitude is significant for several reasons, one of which is it helps us keep a proper perspective and it demonstrates dependence. We need to keep in mind that he is holding all things together with the word of his power, not us. Psalm 145, verse 16, says that he opens his hand, the Lord opens his hand, and satisfies the desire of every living thing. <clears throat> we're included in that. And the moment he closes his hand, we're in trouble. He opens his hand, satisfies the desire of every living thing. God alone is our sustainer and our source. Gratitude helps us to keep that in mind. A spirit of humility and thankfulness is one of the greatest legacies that we can live, leave to the coming generations. You may be here today, perhaps you're very well off materially. Maybe you're, you're worth a lot of money. And you're planning on passing much of that wealth on to your children. That's great. But if you don't pass on to them a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude along with it, you will ruin them. You will absolutely ruin them. And it's one of the curses of inherited wealth. But when we pass on that spirit of thankfulness and gratitude, we set them up for success. You know, it's very different from the, the parable that Jesus told about the rich man in Luke 20 or Luke chapter 12. In fact, you probably know it, but I want to read it to you. I want you to listen to it. It's in Luke 12, verses 16. To 21, a parable that Jesus tells here. Luke 12, verse 16, it says, And he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have 
many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you've provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Think about this guy in the story. Just listen to his language. He says, my crops, my barns, my crops, my goods, my soul. He thought within himself, what shall I do? Since I have no room, I will do this. I will pull down. I will store. I will say to my soul, there's no thought or mention of God anywhere. No expression of gratitude whatsoever. He was bankrupt of a proper perspective. No acknowledgement or awareness of his utter dependence upon God. I mean, who gave him the mind that he thought with? God. Who gave him the physical strength that he worked with? God. Who created the seed from which his crops grew? God. Who created the soil? God, who caused the sun to shine? God, who caused the rain to fall? God, for that matter, who created his eternal soul? God did. But he didn't acknowledge that at all. A significant life is a thankful life. I feel sorry for atheists when they see a beautiful sunset or observe some of the mysteries of creation. They have no one to thank. That's a shame. Or like the wealthy oil baron took a friend up on top of his roof, said, look, I want to show you around. Points run one direction, says, you see that forest out there? I own it all. Every stick of timber is mine. Points another direction, see the oil derricks out there? Says, all mine as far as the eye can see. Points another direction, you see those beautiful orchards out there? I own them all. Points another direction, there's a sprawling housing development going on, says, I own all that land. I designed that. He says, in fact, this 20,000 square foot mansion you're standing on, it's mine. I don't owe a dime on it. His friend looked at him and said, you pointed every direction except for one. And if we're not careful, we can slip into the same kind of a mindset. A significant life is a grateful life. And then we come to our final letter in this acrostic N. The significant life is not concerned with being in the spotlight. The significant life is not concerned with being in the spotlight. Remember where we began? A sign. A sign that points to God. The sign is not to be the center of attention. It merely points to where your focus should be. You know, I was an assistant pastor in a small church for several years. It was in a rural community, of, of actually a very poor community. And we had a, a little food bank in the church there. We took care of a lot of families. In fact, I had the privilege to take groceries to families that, that had no money to buy groceries, had no groceries to put on the table. And I can't tell you what a joy that was. And a lady came up to me one day and said, Pastor Bayless, I'm going to give a whole side of beef, you know, to the church's pantry, to the church's food bank. I said, that's awesome. And listen, it would have been awesome to be able to turn up to somebody's house with a bunch of steaks or a big roast. That, that, that would have really been a treat for a lot of families. I said, that's great. But I could tell when I told her that's awesome, she wanted to be celebrated a little more. 
and I celebrated her. She wanted a little more applause, and, I, and she kind of went away sullen. I thought, well, that was interesting. Well, a little while later, one of the other guys on team comes up, comes up to me and says, Bailey, did you hear? I said, what? He said, so-and-so's given a whole side of beef to the pantry. I said, well, yeah, I did hear. Where'd you hear? He said, she told me. I said, oh, okay, cool. And then somebody else caught me in the hallway and said, Bayless, did you hear? I said, did I hear what? So-and-so's given a whole side of beef into the pantry. I said, really, how'd you know that? She told me. And there's like two other people, you know, told me the same thing. Oh, so-and-so's given a whole side of beef. Did you hear? I said, well, yeah, frankly, I have several times. <clears throat> and I guess nobody really applauded her the way she wanted to be applauded. She never did give that side of beef. What she was interested in is being in the spotlight. She, she'd lost the plot and forgot that a significant life is a sign. I mean, you think about that. You rock up to somebody's house. They've been eating, you know, craft cheese macaroni for their main meal for the last week, and you show up with a roast and a bunch of steaks and said, look, you just need to know there's a God in heaven that knows your name, and this is a gift from him. God bless you. You've got a neon sign pointing to God that says, you are loved. Significant life, not interested in being in the spotlight. <clears throat> we have a leadership college at our church, been gone quarter of a century now. And I remember back in the early days, I was traveling, and somebody rang me and said, hey, some reporter came from the, the local paper. They're, they're doing a story on the leadership college. I thought, cool. Well, I got back, and they gave me a copy of the paper, and it was front page. And there was one of our pastors, man, his photograph is taken up like a third of the front page of the paper, and it's got a whole bio on him and talks about, you know, his, his interaction with the school and what he does, and then it went to the second page, boom, there's a photograph, another one of our pastors, and talks about what he does in the school. Next page, there's a, a gal that, she's one of the teachers in our school, got a big picture, and gives her bio and talks about what she does, goes on in the school. I turn to the next page, there was something written on every page, I get to the back page of the paper, and down like the last line or second to the last line, it said, Bayless Conley, the senior pastor, did not attend Cottonwood Leadership College. I thought, I started at this school. <clears throat> and it actually tickled me. I started to laugh. And you know, I realized that, that it really, in all honesty, didn't bother me at all that I didn't get my picture there, that I didn't give my bio, and that I didn't mention that I started the school. And, and I remember thinking to myself, Bayless, maybe, just, just maybe a little bit, Maybe you're starting to make a little bit of progress in this walk with Jesus. Because I really didn't mind at all that I wasn't mentioned. You know, it would have been pretty foolish for the donkey to think everybody was clapping and shouting for him when he was taking Jesus into Jerusalem. <laughs> it's like people that are obsessed with photobombing. They want to be in other people's pictures. Oh, they always want to try and get on film. I was doing a series of meetings in Germany. We happened to be uh, in Munich during Oktoberfest. It's right in the heart of Bavaria. And we set up in a park there, and we've got like, you know, five little three-minute things we need to do just quick. We couldn't do it. Tried for like 45 minutes, and every time we started to film, somebody come in and said, hey. Everybody wanted to be on film, and most of them had a few too many beers, and it was just... You know, it was interesting. We finally had to pack everything up and move to another location because everybody 
wanted to be on the film. Like I said, some people are obsessed with that. You look at a sports thing, you got all these people in the background, it's like, <laughs> you know? It's just like, who is that idiot? <laughs> Jan and I were sitting front row of the church not too long ago. Service is getting ready to start. I've got my phone, I got my Bible app on it, and I, I said, sweetheart, smile. I snapped a selfie of Janet and I sat on the front row. I got home and I looked at it and I said, what? I blew it up a little bit. And she put that up on the screen. There, there's the selfie of Janet and I, yeah. <laughs> I want you to meet Pastor Robert Favela. Robert's one of the pastors on our team and I just, it cracked me up. You know, he's just having a bit of fun. But, so I sent him the, blow to, the blown up version, you know, immediately texted it to him that night and, and we, we text back and forth and laughed a little bit. But you know, it, it seems to me that's what a lot of people do. It makes me think, do we photobomb Jesus? It's all about him, but do we try and get in the shot and do we want people to remember our name? Or are we willing to just be a sign, a man or a woman of significance that points to him? Let me step out of the way and talk to you for a minute about Jesus, this crucified, resurrected Savior. After living a sinless life and showing people what God was like, that God was not aloof, distant, and unconcerned, but that he was near, that he was a loving, concerned father that wanted to be involved in the lives of his people. Well, Jesus was taken, put through a mock trial, beaten without mercy, and crucified. Think of him there suspended between heaven and earth on that cross. His body is broken. He's bleeding. He's dying. It's like the scapegoat of old. The high priest would take it, lay his hands on the head of that scapegoat and pronounce the sin of the people on the head of that goat and then it would be released into the wilderness. Even so as Christ hung bloodied and disfigured upon the cross, two invisible hands were laid upon his head as the Father pronounced our sin upon his own spotless son. And the great exchange took place. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And Jesus died under the weight of our sins. Three days and three nights later after the claims of God's eternal justice were forever satisfied, Jesus was raised from the dead. And John saw him and talked about it in the book of Revelation. And he wasn't some scrawny little shepherd with a lamb under his arm with some stupid grin on his face. He was the glorified, risen Son of God. He said, I was dead, but I'm alive, and I have the keys of hell and of death. He had a golden band around his chest. His eyes were like flames of fire. His hair was as white as snow. When he walks, sparks fly. When he speaks, it's like the sound of a thousand waves crashing on a thousand oceans all at once, like a million Niagara's cascading all at once. He has the stars in his fist. He is the risen eternal Son of God. That is the one that we serve. Jesus, Almighty. <clears throat> That's the one I declare to you today. That's the one that our lives should be pointing to. And I just want to ask you in humility a question. If your life is a sign, then it is. 
where is it pointing? Where does your sign point today? You don't have to have a microphone and a guitar to have a significant life. I used to, three days a week, would go to a local rest home and take my guitar and play songs for the old folks that nobody cared about and nobody visited anymore. And I learned all the old songs like Bringing in the Sheaves and In the Garden. And they would cry. Tears would roll down their wrinkled faces. And I would read them Bible stories and pray with them. Had the privilege to lead several of them to Christ. And there was an old woman there. She was actually 100 years old. She got saved under Amy Simple McPherson's ministry, got baptized in the Holy Spirit in an A.A. Allen tent revival. She was 100. I don't think she had ever cut her hair, went all the way down to her ankles, this beautiful snow-white hair, and she was blind. And I would take her to church when we started church. Pick her up or arrange to have her picked up and bring her to the service, and she'd worship God there on the front row. We'd take her back. As long as she was able until she died, we, we would bring her to church. And you know, her world had shrunken dramatically. She lived in a little tiny room with another old woman. And other than when we would occasionally be able to bring her to church, she never got out. But I talked to the people that worked in that rest home. She'd impacted every one of them. She had a joyful attitude. She loved God. She was thankful. She would worship God in her room. She would lift her hands and worship Jesus. Even though her world was quite small, it was quite significant because it was pointing to the Savior. And I want to tell you, he is worth pointing to. Maybe you've come in here today with a friend, maybe with a family member, maybe by yourself. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here today. There is a God in heaven that knows your name. He knows your story. And he loves you desperately, passionately, fiercely. In fact, you, if you have the smallest glimpse of how fiercely God loves you, it would frighten you. His love is absolutely savage. He bankrupted heaven and gave the life of his own son to rescue you. Now, I got saved in a street mission. I was a drug addict. And God rocked my world. It hasn't always been easy in the last 40 years, but he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's more real to me today than he's ever been. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is real. And if you've not committed your life to him, he stands with you, stands before you with arms open wide, welcoming you. doesn't matter what you've done or what you failed to do. He will not turn you away if you choose to come. But it's a gift that has to be received. You can't work for it. You can't be piggybacked into the kingdom. God has no grandchildren, only children. Just because mom and daddy were loyal Christians, your daddy may have been a preacher. You may have come from a long line of preachers. That doesn't bring you into the kingdom, friend. You have to make a commitment yourself. And I'd like to, I'm going to give an invitation in a moment. I just want to broaden it for the prodigals that are in here. You've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You know he's real. You would not deny him. 
But right now, as you sit in this place, your life is so out of sync with the Savior that you'd be ashamed if you returned today. I have great news for you. God is not mad at you. He loves you. The prodigal son, prodigal daughter, time to come home. Time to come back and give your all to the one who gave his all for you. I'd like you to bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment if you would. I'm just going to count to three. And when I get to three, if you want to get into this prayer, I'm going to give you the words to a prayer. That's as far as I can go. But if you'll tie your heart around the words and sincerely speak them to God, I believe God will hear you. If you want to get into this prayer, commit your life to the Savior or your backslider that needs to come home. When I get to three, I want you to just lift your hand and just consider that that lifted hand is a reflection of your heart. In your heart, you're reaching up to God. Your uplifted hand is just a mirror image of that. And frankly, an act as simple as lifting a hand can help your faith begin to move in the right direction because faith is always expressed through actions. I'll acknowledge whatever hands are lifted. You can put them down, and then I'm going to lead everyone in a simple prayer. One, it's your moment, friend. Two, three. 